You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. All right, that was a good practice. Let's welcome Adam Penman up. (laughs) Adam's the young adults pastor at Southport Church of Christ. Um, Me and Adam used to work a ton together. He was interning when I was there. And um, we're just really excited that you could come along and share on Palm Sunday with us. Um, I'm going to pray for you and then give you the mic and I'm going to go listen and be ministered to. So thank you so much. Father, I just lift up this man. Thank you so much for him and his family that has come here this morning um, all the way down to Burley, (laughs) the southern end of the coast. And so we just thank you for him and his ministry to young adults uh, there at Southport Church of Christ and all the amazing fruit we are hearing about. Um, that is coming out of his ministry. We pray you bless his words this morning. Bless him. And again, may for this short time, we just have ears to hear about this story, this ancient story that has extreme relevance to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. How are we doing, everybody? So good. It just gives me so much joy. Uh, to have the privilege to come and to be able to share with you. Um, As Steve was saying, my name is Adam and uh, I'm married to my lovely wife, Tegan. You would have seen her running around after our great little daughter named Grace. Uh, And she is one and a bit years old, 15 months something. So she is a joy. But now it brings me um, great joy to be able to share with about Palm Sunday. Um, How crazy. It is Easter next weekend. Isn't that, kids, are we excited about that? Chocolates on chocolates, and adults, Anne's excited about that. Uh, no, 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 that's, that's so exciting. And uh, we get to talk about today the final week of Jesus' life as he uh, steps into that uh, and walks into Jerusalem. But just um, before uh, I start, I don't normally do this, but as I was worshipping, I just felt a sense uh, from God that uh, there is someone here, or maybe there's a few people here today, uh, and you are not sure about your place before God as you stand here this morning, and maybe as you were singing. And, and a simple message I feel like God wanted to communicate to you is that God knows your story, He knows your weak, He knows your sin, and He loves you, and He wants you to come to Him today. And so I don't know if that means anything uh, to you, or maybe just to everyone, but um, uh, I hope uh, if that is you, um, I'd love to pray for you after the service. But um, we're going to jump straight into it, um, and we're going to hear the, the scripture today, uh, Matthew chapter 21. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you, open that up. Um, and if you don't, it will be on the screen. But is it going to be Tegan? I don't know what she was trying to say to me before. She was going to do our readings today, but I think she might be occupied with Gracie. We can try, okay, let's try that. I can grab Grace. Um, So we're going to be starting from verse 1 in chapter 21, and uh, we are going to be reading uh, to verse 17. Oh, we got a broom in our mouth, do we? (laughs) Okay. Sorry, distracting. (laughs) Um, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill 
what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them, sorry, and put them, and put on them, sorry, oh my gosh, their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Do I keep going? Sorry. 17. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, yes, sorry. (laughs) And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, you have... Oh my gosh, sorry. Have you never read out of my mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have, pre- you have prepared pe- praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's encourage Tegan. Excellent reading, Tegan. I would have really rather heard your voice than mine. So, um, Let's just pray before we continue. Father, I just thank you that we can come together this morning as your people, as your children, and uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would use uh, this text to speak to us, Uh, that Lord, that you would encourage us in this place this morning and and build us up. Lord, meet us uh, right where we are. Lord, no matter what week we've had, whether it's crazy, whether we're about to enter holidays, whether we're feeling tired, May you just minister to us in this place. May we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, as we step into uh, this time of Easter. And uh, may you teach us something more about who you are, um, about your love, about your forgiveness. I ask God that you would use my simple words and you would use them for your glory. And uh, Lord, for the good of each and every one of us. Uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain the text and then I'll pull out a few things that I think we can walk away with. Um, so very first, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives. And so uh, what we've got to realize is Jesus uh, is coming to the war to the end of his ministry. Uh, he spent about 30 years in obscurity. We don't know a lot about the first 30 years of Jesus' life, just a few uh, episodes the Gospels gives us. Um, but just that he grew in favor with God uh, and man, um, and wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with man. And then we see his three years of ministry uh, continue. 
Um, and now we're getting to the very last week of his life, as where he is he is seeking to uh, complete all that the Father has called him to do. And uh, what we see is he is approaching Jerusalem. He approaches Bethage. Um, and, and what we know from other Gospels is that around this area, we don't know a lot about Bethage, but around this area is another place called Bethany that we read in the text. And uh, what we know is Jesus, around this time before he headed into Jerusalem, um, sought some comfort with some friends, Mary, um, um, Martha, and Lazarus, and he spent some time there. And then he went from that place, and we see him here now. And he comes towards his disciples, and he says, Hey, I want you to go into this town, and I want you to get me a donkey. And uh, off they go. Now, we're not sure why or how Jesus knew exactly why there would be a donkey there. Um, you know, we hope he just didn't come along and steal it, and your Lord needs this, and, and off he goes. But um, there's a few different thoughts, whether it was Jesus' divine nature knowing. Um, but I think more simply, it was Jesus knew the area. And uh, he knew the animals that were going to be there, and he was able to send his disciples to get it. And, uh, and the donkey is very significant in this text, but we're going to come back to that. Verse 6 says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their coat, cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. So just to let me set the stage, I want you to imagine as Jesus heads into Jerusalem that the streets are absolutely packed for the Passover. Uh, there's an estimated maybe number of like two point, they, they, I don't know how they define this, I don't know who was doing the numbers, there's a lot of counting, but around 2.7 million people would have been in Jerusalem at this time. And so let's just say uh, on the safe side that we're looking at 2 million people. Um, and, and the Jews would head into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover because they weren't allowed to actually do it in their hometowns. They had to come to this holy city. And so this town is bustling. It is busy. It is like the, the Burley Pavilion on a Saturday afternoon. You're not getting a park. And I want you to times that by a thousand, right? It is busy. And the crowds surround Jesus and they begin to lay their, their garments and the palm leaves on the ground for him to walk over. And, and what this signifies is a sense of royalty. Uh, it was a sign of respect and submission to Jesus' authority. It was to say, we place ourselves at your feet, even to walk over if necessary. The items symbolizing salvation and joy towards though someone that would save them. And accompanying this physical act, there is this verbal shout of praise. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is, if you're unfamiliar with that word, it's, it's a Hebrew word that means save now. And Son of David refers to Jesus' messianic title. Messiah meaning anointed one. So effectively what the people are saying here is they're saying, save us now, great Messiah, save us now. In Luke's gospel it says, the people rejoiced and praised God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
I just I want you to position yourself in that moment. And uh, you can see this image. I think it might be the next one along. Uh, is there an image? Next one along. Um, which I thought, or is it? Yeah, there it is. Um, I know it's pixelated. I'm sorry. Um, I don't think their cameras are very good then. Hey, do you like that one? thought that was a pretty good dad joke. Um, but I actually thought it really painted a really beautiful picture of what it, this could have looked like um, as Jesus approached. You can see him there on the donkey and the people uh, laying down these palm leaves and these, um, these their garments and just really like just suffocating in uh, on Jesus. It would have been just electric. I think this would have been a really powerful, powerful moment. And then we see Jesus go from that place and he steps into the temple. And so let me just draw a few different, uh, two observations that I want to really draw on here. And the first one is this, that Jesus comes as our King. Let me ask you this, what influences you in your life? What influences you in your life? What is your greatest influence? Is it friends? Is it family? Is it culture? You know what, why don't you turn to your neighbor I'm going to do 10 seconds. What's something that influences you? What is your greatest influence in your life? And go. All right, let's come on back. Excellent. I wonder what you said. Um, I wonder what really influences you in my life. And we're thinking about so many things in the car, actually, on the way here, Tegan and I. And we just thought of this really, like, really simple uh, example um, of just our daughter, Grace, because we're just thinking how kids just pick up on everything. And you, as their parents, are so influential. And I remember when Grace was really young, and it was when, you know, COVID was sweeping in. And uh, Grace didn't have really any ability to talk or say anything or really get our attention. Um, uh, but there was this couple of weeks where Tegan and I were just coughing so much because um, of COVID. Anyway, Grace picked up on that. Um, and, and I just remember that whenever we wanted to, she wanted to get our attention, you just hear this little... <coughs> <coughs> she wasn't sick. There was no sickness in her. She just learned that that was a way that we communicate to one another. Um, is that we, we, cough with one, we cough to one another. Um, but things influence us, right, in this world. But let me ask you this, a little bit deeper question in this. What type of role does Jesus play in your life? What type of influence is Jesus in your life? You see, leading up to this point uh, in Jesus' ministry and in his life, he, he hasn't publicly declared his identity. He hasn't publicly declared to everyone around him of who he is. And as he steps into Jerusalem right now, he is being bold and he is proclaiming loudly about who he is and why he has come. There's this one particular moment where he does share who he is um, as the Messiah, as the King to his disciples. But then right after it, he says, but I don't want you to tell anyone. Has anyone ever been told a secret that you can't tell anyone? I love watching my dad when he knows a secret and he can't tell anyone. It's just like bursting at the seams. Um, just recently we had my brother who had a baby and my, bro- my dad knew early and it's just like, and he just had to share it with me in the moment. He wasn't allowed to, but um, he did that. And so what we see is Jesus walking into Jerusalem and now for the first time he's publicly declaring to them that he is the long-awaited saviour. 
that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And I can just imagine the disciples and how excited they are that he's finally declaring it to them. And we see this confirmation of his kingship um, come out in a few different ways. Uh, the first way we see it is it comes out in the way that the people respond to Jesus. The second way we see it is the way that he's in control in this moment, the way that he's orchestrating and setting up this moment of him entering Jerusalem. We see it through the, 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 um, in Zechariah, we see this passage in this scripture about the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling, written 500 years earlier, and Jesus is stepping into Jerusalem as the Messiah fulfilling. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, a fowl of a donkey. See, your king comes to you. You see, Jesus is fulfilling the long-awaited prophet, that he is the saviour of the world. And then he continues, and he walks into the temple, and the temple is God's house, right? And Jesus comes in, and he says, this is my house. This is my house. And then he begins to rearrange the furniture like only the owner of the house would do. You see, Jesus is declaring loudly, and he's not wanting anyone else to know that he is the long-awaited saviour of the world. But he's not coming, maybe, as they expected him too. Now, as we look at this passage, it begs then us to ask the question about Jesus' kingship in our lives. And as I think about this, I think, how, how, do, we, how do we look at Jesus' kingship in our life? And as I was reflecting on this, I think we can respond to it in four different ways. I think we can oppose it, and so we could be angry with God. We can want nothing to, nothing to do with God. We can, uh, we, can be, uh, yeah, we can be mad at him, or, or what's the other word? We can be, um, we could also, it's also this position, I would say, we could deny him of his kingship. We could take this position of being what we would say in this world, an atheist. We want nothing to do with him. So we can oppose him. I think the second thing is we can dismiss him. And so we can keep him at arm's length. We can say, actually, Jesus, you aren't someone that I need in my life. My life's pretty good. I've got a good steady job. I've got a good family. I, I, things are going all right. I don't need to think about him. I know my friends and my family, they stuff, say stuff about him, but I'm going to deliberately not think about Jesus. I don't want to know about him. I just, I'm, I'm not angry at him. I'm not mad at him. He's, just, he's Jesus and I'm me and we're doing our different things and that's okay. So we can oppose him. We can dismiss him. I think thirdly, I think what we can do mostly is that we can try and control him. So we can say, hey, Jesus, you are the king of my life. I'm a Christian. I'm here. I'm at church. I go to, I go to Wednesday Bible study. Is that Wednesday here? Yeah, yep, that's, that's the Jesus day for Bible study, apparently across all churches. I, I serve in the op shop. I do all these things. Um, um, but in, in the sense that we go, God, you can have, you can, you're on the throne. But what we do is we come along and we just go, hey, God, do you want to shuffle over a little bit? And we shuffle him over on the throne and we say, hey, you, can, you and me, we're ruling together on this one. We can say, hey, Jesus, you can have this part of my life, but you can, you're not going to have this. Hey, you can have my finances or you can have my family, but hey, don't, I don't touch this part of me. Hey, that's, that's for me. You stay over there, God. We say he has the reins, yet we're still holding him. So we can oppose him. We can, uh, what was the second one? We can dismiss him. We can try to control him or ultimately we can just worship him. We can come before him and we can say, God, you are sovereign, you are Lord, you are king of my life and 
my, my, everything that I am is yours. I wonder how you respond to Jesus' kingship. Timothy Keller comes out and he gets a little bit more pointed and he says, Jesus doesn't give you four options. He gives you two options in this moment. He says this, Jesus doesn't give you any other option other than to crown him or to, or to kill him. Jesus doesn't give you any other options other than to crown him or to kill him. We cannot sit anywhere else before the king. Either I am king of your life or I will be nothing, Jesus says. Either you love me or you hate me. Either you worship me or you want to crucify me. Either I am Lord of all or I am not Lord at all. Jesus does not give you any other option. He's not here walking into Jerusalem to be liked. Hey, I just want to be liked. I'm just here to win some friends. Now he's saying, I am the Lord and either you are for me or you are against me. Where are you going to be? And it is a, this is a confronting thought, isn't it? Revelation says, hey, you are, you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either, but you are lukewarm. And because of that, I want to spit you out. And I don't mean that to you, but I mean that's just what Revelation says. That's what Jesus says. And we know a lot of lukewarm foods are not good foods, are they? You either need them cold or you either need them hot, right? And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my kingship, what does it mean to you in your life? What type of influence is Jesus in your life? There's a really pivotal question around this, and this is the question that Jesus brings to his disciples some moments before, not moments, but in his ministry leading up to this point. He says this, it's on the screen. Who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father in heaven. Really simply, what is your response to Jesus' kingship? As Jesus was to stand before you right now and he was to say, hey, who do people say that I am? We would answer that. But as, as he asked again, who do you say that I am? What is your response. You see, your response will be defined by how you answer the question that Jesus asked. Your response to his kingship will be, will be the same, similar to what you respond to Jesus as he asks, who do you say that I am? If Jesus is on the throne, I love, this is what I love about Jesus being on the throne is if Jesus is on the throne that I can have a, I can wake up and, and have the pressures of my life and I can go, it's okay. Because Jesus got this. I can, I can wake up in the morning, I can go through life and my health might not be in the place that I want it to be, but it's okay because Jesus is on the throne. I can have all the things going wrong in my life that could possibly go wrong and I can say it's okay because Jesus is on the throne. And what the cross shows us is the one on the throne is the one that we can trust. And who knows, when we take control of our life, we do a pretty poor job at it. We do a pretty poor job at it. So here's my second thing. My second observation is this, that when it comes to Jesus' kingship, 
it's met with worship. Jesus' kingship is met with worship. J.D. Greer says this, You worship whatever it is you deem most essential for life and happiness. You worship whatever it is you deem most essential for life and happiness. As Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he's met with shouts of praise. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The verses that follow read, The children shouting in the temple courts said, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees say, do you hear what the children are saying? Like they're disgusted. They asked him and Jesus says, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise? Luke's gospel continues and it's on here. It says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will, sorry. If you keep quiet, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What Jesus is saying is the most fitting thing for a believer to do before King Jesus is not to bring him gold or riches or gifts or our best efforts. It's to bring worship. The most appropriate response to Jesus, our King, is to bring our very hearts to him. Worship is the overflow of a captivated heart. Worship is the overflow of a a person that finds their treasure in Jesus. To know him and understand his infinite forgiveness and love and companionship. And I love the reference that Jesus has here as as he talks about children. It's to come like a child would come to praise. A child that simply believes, carries no worries, but trusts without the skepticism and the doubt of this world, comes with a simple hope. Or it's like Paul in his writings when he says this, Philippians 3.8, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You see, Christ is our greatest prize when he is king. Being counted as a child of God is the highest position and to have Christ exceeds any earthly position. It's to say, if I have Christ and nothing more, I have everything. If I have Christ and nothing more, I have everything. And the reason I have us here and and talking about this particular space is because as we approach Easter... Next week, I believe the text offers us a challenge to examine our hearts. I believe it offers us a challenge to examine our hearts before the King, before God. And I say this because as we read this passage, we also witness the opposite. Both within the crowd that praise Him and those in the temple are divided hearts. We have reason to believe that the people in the crowd that shout Hosanna here... Days later, before Jesus are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. In one moment, they're worshipping him and in the other moment, they are condemning him. And the reason was this, was for some of the people, while they worship with their lips, they didn't worship with their heart. To explain this really quickly, not to bombard you with information, but when some of them cried praise to Jesus, they didn't want a spiritual saviour, They wanted a political one. 
They wanted someone that would come and destroy Rome and lift the oppression of Rome on them and to free them physically uh, uh, to this freedom. But Jesus didn't come as a political one, but a spiritual one. And the people wanted Jesus on their own terms. And they would not bow to a king who was not to their liking, even if he was the son of God. And the same was for the temple. Jesus was a means to fulfill their own agenda. Simply put, the subject of their worship was not Jesus, it was themselves. The subject of their worship was not Jesus, but themselves. Let me explain in this old story, and maybe you've heard it before, and there's going to be some carrots on the screen, but they'll make sense, I promise. There's a story of a gardener who decides to present his king with the greatest carrot he has ever grown. He's impressed with this carrot. Out of all his career in carrot growing, in his farming career, he has grown the best carrot you will ever see. It's shiny, it's, it's luscious, it's beautiful. I don't know about much about carrots. But. The king, and he goes, I'm going to give this to the king. And the king is touched and responds by giving the gardener a large plot of land. How good. A nobleman who witness, witnesses this event, decides it would be to his advantage for him to present the king with his finest horse. He does so, and the king merely thanks him for the horse. The nobleman is confused. He can't do the math. Carrot, horse. The nobleman is confused, and so the king explains to him, well, the gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. You see, those that surrounded Jesus had muddied their worship. Jesus was a means to getting what they wanted. And whether you like it or not, all of us here do this from time to time. All of us put ourselves at the center of our lives and can put Jesus in the back seat. All of our worship is imperfect and all of our worship is muddied. And as we lead into Easter, it offers us an opportunity to address our heart before the King and come to Him in the right space. It offers us the opportunity to say this prayer. Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The greatest thing we can bring the King is not our efforts, is not our service, it's not good works, it's not gifts, it's not finances, it's our heart. And I was reminded of this in the last couple of years, and this moment sticks in my brain. Uh, over the last over the last year, um, it's been a, just over a year now that one of our young adults uh, in our community at Southport Church of Christ suddenly passed away. He was hanging out with some friends and he's 20 years old and he said to his friends, hey, I'm going to go home and spend time with the Lord. And he went home and uh, that night uh, he passed away um, to be with God. And uh, the family shaken, grieving uh, with their sudden loss of their child. And uh, the Sunday came along and uh, amongst the sea of people that were there, sea of people sounds like a lot of people, but amongst the people that were at church, that Sunday, the family turns up. And in a moment of worship, I look over and I see these hands stretched 
high into the sky, surrendered and worshipping. And it was the hands of the family, praising God. It wasn't, the subject of their worship was not themselves. If it was, they wouldn't have been there. The subject of their worship was Christ. And although they had lost a son, they knew the beauty of knowing Jesus. And that's what we remember as we step into Easter. The beauty of knowing Jesus. If we have nothing more than Christ, we still have everything. And let me just land on this. Jesus is the king we can trust. We don't come before Jesus motivated like other kings by obligation or fear. We come towards Jesus because of his love. He did not come in wealth, but in poverty. He did not come in splendor, but in meekness. He did not come on a stallion, but on a donkey. And he did not come to slay Israel's enemies, but to save mankind. Philippians 2 says this, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the heaven. Jesus was the king that left heaven, humbled himself, humiliated himself for us, took the punishment he didn't deserve for a people that didn't deserve it. He was spat on, he was whipped, he was nailed to a cross so that we may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is a king we can trust. This is a king we can give our life to. I wonder where your heart is now as we lead into Easter. I wonder what that prayer means to you as you can bring that before God. And if you didn't, um, if you weren't able to see that before, or you didn't, didn't catch it, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. And Ben, if you would like to come on up, you can do that now. There's this beautiful song, and I know you probably have all heard it, um, but it's, it's called The Heart of Worship by Matt Redman. And uh, I, I, love, I love the lyrics to this message because it really speaks into how we had approach our Saviour. Um, but in a moment in Matt's church, uh, they had lost their way in, in, in what he thought was the right heart as they came to worship. And so he, he cancelled worship, um, the band, and, and they just went, they went back to readdress what does it look like to actually come before God with the right heart. And he came back with this song, and I just want you to read, the, I want to read you the lyrics, and then we're going to sing.